following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Come on, it's a good morning. It's a good morning. Yeah. David said, I was glad when they told me, let's go to church. Are you happy to be here today? Are you happy? Now, while we're having church right here, we're dedicating 25 new babies next door. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think if these would fit into the COVID baby game, the COVID kids. Uh, They may be a little bit later than that, but I could be close. But what a joy to be dedicating children to the Lord next door while we're having church over here. Thank you for coming today. It's an honor to see all of you. And if I never met you before, it's your fault. Because I've been showing up here 32 years. And what a joy to have you. Would you stand to your feet? You're incredible people and I love you. How about that Friday night? Was that good or what? Was that good or what? Uh, I've had a lot of comments of people walking in the door and, and some of the comments was the fact how much they love the panel. (laughs) you know there was times I couldn't speak on that panel I just made faces (laughs) my wife was talking and Scott was talking and Mel was talking and I was just kind of oh God don't let them go too far here now (laughs) but it was a wonderful night and and Scott and Mel send their love back to us and uh, they enjoyed being here so much and we enjoyed them and we're going to have another one of those in October we're excited we're thrilled about it now today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you. Uh, I'm going to talk to you from my heart. I'm going to talk to you from right inside my soul here. I'm going to have a, a dad talk to you, okay? I'm going to have a father talk to you today. Because I just feel like, I feel like that we are in a time when we need to make our calling and our election sure. We need to do the right thing. We need to make the right decisions, all right? And so I'm going to talk to you about that. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 1. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered to the house of Simon and Andrew. Those boys were brothers. With James and John, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once. And so he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. And at evening time, when the sun had set, they brought him all that were sick and those that were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out the demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. (laughs) Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Say it with me. Everyone is looking for you. Now I want to I want to share something with you before I start teaching today. Jesus healed a fever and the whole town showed up. Get that in your spirit. Jesus healed a fever and the whole city showed up. If we can get our fevers corrected, a whole city might show up. God has got his hand on this congregation of people. And I want us to go into this year like never before, 
spreading our arms, opening up our eyes, opening our mouth and saying, God, it is in your hands. And let's see what God can do. Everybody say, everyone is looking for you. You may be seated. So Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law of a fever and it's hard to think of Simon Peter being married. It really is. You know, you just see him, you don't think he's married. Obviously he was. But I wonder how his wife felt about his giving up his occupation. What a lot of people don't know is that Peter was a very wealthy man. He was a fisherman and he was the, the epitome of fishermen. He had the it factor. You see his house over in Israel now, it's still there because it's a massive place. But he left everything to follow Jesus. And maybe she was an understanding woman. <laughs> I wonder though if it was a source of conflict ever in their lives. Sometimes we may think we don't have time with all of the stuff we have to do to serve Jesus. Too many family responsibilities. Christ had heard that excuse before. Anyway, Simon had a mother-in-law and that evening after sunset, her, after Jesus healed his mother-in-law, Mark tells us the people of the area brought to Jesus all that were sick. Everybody say all. All that were sick and possessed. In fact, the whole town was gathered at his door. Now, think of that. The whole town was gathered at his door. I guess that's the first century equivalent of a flash mob. <laughs> they didn't communicate by Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat. They had to do it the old-fashioned way. They did it person to person, but it worked. The whole town gathered at the door of Simon, and everyone wanted to see the fever eraser. The fever eraser. And the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's important. That's important. No matter how pressing his calendar was, no matter how many people needed him, Jesus always took time to pray. Sounds like he's setting an example for us, and it doesn't matter how busy we get. It doesn't matter how, matter how much we have on our schedule. We always need to take time to stop, drop, and pray. We always need that. Amen. So Simon and his companions went looking for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. I love that phrase. I love phrases like that in the Bible. Everyone's looking for you, Jesus. To me, that makes sense. I don't know how to say this without it sounding like a platitude or a cliche, but I really do believe that deep down, all people everywhere, everywhere in this world, in church, out of church, are looking for the Christ. They're looking. They may not know it, but they're looking. They may not know his name. They, may, they, they, they might have religious symbols and terminologies that are different from what you and I would use, but they are looking for Christ all the same. The reason, here's number one. For one thing, everybody needs meaning in their lives. Does your life have meaning? You need to ask yourself that question every now and then. Do I matter? Does my life have meaning? What is the meaning of my life? Well, a young lady used to sing a song, is that all there is? If that's all there is, let's just keep dancing. Let's just keep doing what we're doing because if that's all life is, then there's nothing else about life. But that's not all life is. Everybody needs something to believe in, something to guide them. Otherwise, they wake up one day and realize that nothing in life makes sense. And when that happens, all of a sudden, they're in a slide. Could it be they think to themselves that like the other animals, we're just simply born, we live, we die, our time on earth, and then we're nothing. There is no meaning to love, no meaning to sorrow, no meaning to life itself, of course. That's the philosophy of many people today, and that's where we are in our world. And that's why the church must be stronger than ever 
to show that there is meaning in this world besides what you think it is. Amen? It's like a man I heard about recently who filled his car at a gas self-service station. And after he had paid and driven away, he realized he had left the gas cap on top of his car. And he stopped and looked, and sure enough, it was gone. And he thought for a second and realized that other people must have done the same thing leaving that station. And he was smart, and he thought it was worth going back to look on the side of the road at least once. Even if he couldn't find his own gas cap, he might be able to find another one that fit, that was just like his gas cap. Sure enough, after a very short time of searching, he found a gas cap. He carefully wiped it off and slipped it into place with a satisfying click. Climbed back in the car and told his wife, hey, I may have lost our gas cap, but I found another one that fits and it's even better gas cap than the one I had. He said, this one locks. <laughs> and the wife said, do you have the key? <laughs> so great, until the next time he needs gas. What's good is a locking gas cap if you don't have the key. Somebody help me here now, here's the point. It's like that man that had that gas cap with no key. To many people, the secret of life is locked up and there is no key. To them, nothing makes sense. Nothing adds up. Two plus two is not four anymore. And it's just life is running like a riddle and they don't understand the riddle. It's simply one thing after another and then they die. I love, I, I love certain people in ministry and I read after them and one of the men I read after is Fred Craddock. He's a comedian preacher and he's a professor and a storyteller. He tells some stories and I'm fixing to tell you one of his stories. He said that he was visiting in a home of one of his former students after graduation and after a great dinner, the young parents excused himself and hustled the kids off to bed and leaving Fred in a large room with the family pet who was a large, sleek, greyhound dog. Early the evening, Fred had watched the kids roll on the floor playing with that greyhound. And that full-blood greyhound, the dad said, that's a full-blood greyhound who once raced professionally in Florida. And then we got him. The great dog is good with our kids. and He's a professional, full-blood, full-bred greyhound. The daddy was so proud of that dog. So there was Fred a little later as the parents took the kids off to bed and they're going to be right back. There was Fred sitting there alone with this big dog and they're looking at each other, just staring and Fred didn't know what to do and all of a sudden the dog said, this your first visit to Connecticut? <laughs> this is Fred's story. No, Fred said, I went to school up here a long time ago. The dog said, well, I guess you heard I came here from Miami. Oh, yeah, you retired, Fred said. No, said the dog. Is that what they told you? No, no, I didn't retire. I'll tell you what I did do, though. I spent 10 years as a professional racing greyhound. That means 10 years of running around the track day after day, seven days a week with other dogs chasing that rabbit. One day I got up close, and I got a good look at that rabbit, and it was a fake. That's a cute story whether you laugh or not. You need to get your laughing gear on. He said, I had spent my whole life chasing a fake rabbit. I didn't retire. I quit. I quit. 
No wonder that dog quit and was eager to tell Fred why. I hope there's nobody in this room today that can relate to that greyhound, but there are many people who can relate. They're spending their lives chasing fake rabbits with locked gas caps. And they don't have the key to how to get something in their engine and get running again. Somebody help me preach right now. In their minds, there's no purpose to life, not a key to it, no meaning. Some of you remember a very famous French existentialist novelist named Albert Camus. He was one of the 20th, one of the 20th century's most famous skeptic. He was a skeptic. There was no God. There was no hereafter. He taught that. He put that in his books. There's evidence that toward the end of his life, he discovered a vacuum in his life, a vacuum that nothing could fill. Consequently, he began attending an American church in Paris, France. Isn't that amazing? He even discussed the possibilities of being baptized by his pastor. Which, by the way, baptism Sunday's next week. If you hadn't been baptized, you might ought to take the plunge with us next week. Come on, clap your hands all over this house. He said, the reason, Pastor, I've been coming to church is because I'm seeking. I'm seeking. I'm not trying to criticize things anymore. I'm seeking. I've discovered that I don't have the answers. I'm almost on a pilgrimage, he said, seeking something to fill the void that I am experiencing. No one else knows. Certainly the public and the readers of my novels don't know. While they see that that void, while they see that void, are not finding the answers to what they are reading. But deep in my heart right now, I'm searching for something that the world is not giving me. I prayed this year in our early morning prayer, 21 days. I said, God, send people to Christian Life Austin this year that have been on a quest, a quest to try to put you out of their life. But all of a sudden, God, you've turned that quest around to put you in their lives. And I believe with all my heart that every Sunday that we progress in this thing called church, there's gonna be people from all walks of life walk in this house and say, I'm tired of saying that there's nothing to do with this God. There's nothing to do with this house. All of a sudden, I'm on a quest. Pastor, tell me where I need to go. I'm gonna tell you today where you ought to go. Come on, somebody. What neither Camus nor his readers understood is that nothing in this world can satisfy their search for meaning. There's only one person who can do, who can do that and his name is Jesus. Mm, Jesus. See, in order to have a satisfying life, we must have meaning in our life. The disciples came to Jesus and said, everyone is looking for you. I'd like to say it again here today. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. They don't know it, but they're looking for you. They don't understand it, but they're looking for you. I went to a basketball game yesterday. Didn't, didn't, work, didn't work out good. My grandson and I went the first time we'd seen Texas get beat this year in basketball. Not football, but basketball. And toward the end of the game, we're sitting in a great seat, a seat that was blessed by, to me by somebody in this house. And he hit me on the shoulder. And he said, who are you? I said, who wants to know, the IRS? <laughs> he said, no, I want to know. And I said, well, 
I'm a pastor, South Austin. He looked at me and said, I knew it. <laughs> I said, how'd you know? He said, because I was raised in a preacher's home. My mom and dad are ministers. And he said, I can always zone in on one. And I said, where are you going to church? He said, I'm not. I said, uh-huh, that's why you zoned in. Because everybody, 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 everybody is looking for Jesus. We need to carry him everywhere we go. Come on, somebody. And I did something my wife wouldn't like. I gave him my phone number. I said, call me. Let's get together. I want to I lead you to the Lord. He said, I'll call you. He hadn't yet. God, I hope it wasn't a scam. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Everybody, everybody is looking for Jesus. You know why they're all seeking him? Because he's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. That's revealed in the narrative that after his disciples told Jesus that everyone was looking for him, the master said, okay, since we got that whole town touched, let's go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. I want people to experience who I am. And folks, as pastor of this church for 32 years and having Pastor Brad and Cass on board for the last 16 years, and now having Philip and Annie on board and all this wonderful staff, I'm here to declare we're not having church for us. We're having church for him. We're not preaching sermons for us. We're preaching stuff for him. Come on now. Not everybody wants to see us, but everybody wants to see Jesus. Everybody wants to see Jesus. We need to present him in this house. Woo! Why did Jesus come? He came to share his message of love and forgiveness. He came to give us a key to a very big secret. It's a good news that life does not have meaning. Uh, that does, has meaning. It's the good news that life has meaning. We're not alone in this world with no key to its meaning. Mikio Kaku, Keku, is an outstanding physicist and thinker about our future. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I know his works. It's called Physics of the Future. He tells about when he was eight years old. He remembers all the teachers at the school buzzing with the latest news that a great scientist had just died. That night, the newspapers printed a picture of the deceased scientist's office and on his desk was an unfinished manuscript. The caption read that the greatest scientist of our era could not finish his greatest manuscript. And the young physicist thought, what could be so difficult that such a great scientist could not finish it? What could possibly be that complicated and that important? To Keku, this became more fascinating than any murder mystery, more intriguing than any adventure story. He had to know what was in that unfinished manuscript. Later, of course, he found out that the name of the scientist was Albert Einstein, and there he is. I like his hair. In fact, I'll be honest, if I had hair like that, I'd wear it. <laughs> I might comb it, but I'd wear it. And the unfinished master script was to be his crowning achievement. Now stay with me. This was to be Einstein's attempt to create a theory of everything. Not just a theory of relativity, but a theory of everything, of everything. He wanted to wrap it all up. He wanted to make 
make us understand why we all got here. An equation that would unlock the secrets of the universe and perhaps allow him to read the mind of God. But he never finished his search. He was never able to read the mind of God. But I will say this for Einstein, and this is why I appreciate his work. His search may have been presumptuous, but on the other hand, he never dismissed the possibility of the existence of a God. And a lot of scientists have. That's why I like to read after him. There's a bronze statue of Professor Einstein at the west end of Constitution Avenue in D.C. Statue's 21 feet tall. Here's the picture. Einstein's figure is seated, wearing a baggy sweater and wrinkled corduroy trousers and sandals. Probably no socks. He was the first hippie. His shock of hair is in a familiar disarray. And at Einstein's feet is a map of the universe. See it there? A map of the universe. It's 28 square foot slab of granite, which 2,700 small metal studs are embedded. And each stud represents the location on the sky of a planet or a major star or a familiar celestial body at noon on the day that it was put there, April 22nd, 1979 the time the memorial was dedicated. The expression on the face of Einstein's statue is a mixture of wisdom, peace, wonder. The face reflects the serenity of a man who believed a divine mind had conceived the universe. He spent his life trying to understand. He would tell his colleagues who believed in random universe and the Big Bang Theory, God does not play dice with his universe. Perhaps the smartest man who ever lived died without ever being able to read the mind of God. But I'll tell you that any of our young people, any of our kids in Sunday school, any of our older folks for that matter can find the key of the meaning of everything. It is Christ. It is Jesus Christ and his love for us all. Does anybody love him in this house today? He's a light that shines. He's a light that shines in the darkness. He's a hope that never fails. He's a life that never ends. He's a key to the secret of life. And when we join our life with his, we find everything we need for a complete life. The Bible said we are complete in him who's the head of all principalities and all powers. Aren't you glad Jesus abides in this house? What Christ gives us is not an easy to follow three-step plan, no. What he gives us is much better. He gives us himself. I understand there's a sign as you walk down the stairs. I'm not far from finishing today. One thing you're going to love about me, if you've never heard me preach, I finish on time. I'm trying to get that into all of our preachers. They're doing good. When you walk, <laughs> oh, that's the, that's, the, that's the staff over there clapping. I understand there's a sign as you walk down the stairs toward the baggage claim area of the Memphis, Tennessee airport. Memphis, of course, was the place where singer Elvis Presley called home. I'm all shook up, all that. <laughs> On the sign in the Memphis airport is a motto of Graceland, the former home of the king of rock and roll. And the sign reads, you ready? Discover your inner Elvis. I imagine there's a lot of people that have hair on their head that left with a swoop up there like Elvis and started singing to their wife in some kind of Elvis tones. I don't know if any of you have, are Elvis fans in this congregation or not, but I had a woman in Dallas that was, 
You know, he died back, I think, in 77, I believe. I didn't, I didn't check the, the figure on that, but I think it's about 77. And there's a woman in our church that came up to me two months later, and she said, Pastor, you know Elvis didn't die. And I said, God, this woman's crazy. <laughs> she has absolutely lost her mind. She said, he didn't die. Back in that day, we were, we were really hit with a lot of UFO talk, you know. And, and she said, he was flown away on a UFO. He's not. He's alive. He's he's out there in outer space. He's going to come back and have a have a second second edition of Elvis. I said, "Honey, can I pray for you? You mind if I pray for you? You mind if I lay hands on you and pray for you?" She said, "I don't need prayer. Don't you pray for me? I believe that." When I left that church, five years later, she still believed that Elvis was alive, and I said, "God, you preserve the simple. Thank you for taking care of her." She thinks, and if you think Elvis is alive, we need to pray after church right down here. But far more important, however, than discovering your inner Elvis is an opportunity you have to discover our inner Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't just want to be your, your butler. He doesn't just want to be a friend. He doesn't want to just be a brother to you. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your redeemer. But most of all, he wants to be your Lord. And it's very difficult to serve him in your life when he is not your Lord. When other things are Lord and he's not Lord. When other things are before him, when other things matter more than him, when other things matter on top of him, he's got to be more than just your savior. He has to be your Lord. And today I'm telling you that we need to walk out of here not just saying thank you for being my friend, thank you for being my savior, thank you for being my healer. I want you to say thank you for being my Lord, your Lord of my life. I didn't mean to get so fired up, but he's Lord. He's Lord. Come on, if he's not Lord, he's nothing. He's not Lord, he's not nothing. Let your inner Jesus come through to you. And the formula he gave us for a successful life is love God and love your neighbors. I'm, I'm, I'm shutting it down. I read a story of Jack Casey. I'm a reader, a rescue squad worker. Casey had a difficult childhood. He once said, all I ever learned from my father is that I didn't want to be like him. He was an alcoholic, a tough dad. He whipped the kids, he beat the kids, but something happened to Jack when he was a child that changed his life. Just a little single digit child. He needed surgery and he was terrified because he didn't feel like that he was gonna make it through surgery. He was a scared kid. He remembered the nurse who remained by his side holding his hand reassuring him that everything will be okay. She said, I'll be right here, no matter what. And she kept her word. She was there and greeted him the, with a smile the moment he opened his eyes. Thank God for all of our wonderful nurses and doctors in this house. Thank you, thank you. Jesus, Jesus is in this house. Years later, Jack became a paramedic. And he always was called to scenes of accidents, bad ones, and he was kind of the lead man. And one, one day he was called to a particular accident and a man was pinned upside down in his pickup. And Jack did his best to free him even as gasoline dripped down on both of them. And the man was afraid that he was going to die the, as the rescue workers worked to free him. All he, would, 
All it would take would be one spark to send the whole scene up in flames. And Jack remembered as he was there working back to that time when he was a child and the nurse who never left him. And he took the man's hands and squeezed them as he said, don't worry, friend, I'm right here with you. I'm not going anywhere. And days later, the rescue the rescued truck driver said to Jack, you know, this was his words, you were an idiot the other day. You were crazy. The thing you could, that you was trying to do could have exploded and we'd both have been burned up. And Jack looked at him and he said, I just couldn't leave you, friend. I just couldn't leave you. Let me make a statement right now that everybody needs to hear. That's why there is meaning to life. There is one that I preached about today who will never leave us. No matter what the situation. Pastor, you don't know what I've gone through. It don't matter what you've gone through. We're not here to compare stories today, but I'm telling you, he'll never leave you. You've walked away from him, but he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never walk away from you. He's constant. The Bible said when my heart is faithful, he is faithful. But when my heart is unfaithful, he's still faithful. Because he cannot, he cannot deny himself. Can I tell you, it don't matter what you do, when you turn around, he's still there. When you turn around, he's still there. He's gonna be there. Why don't you crown him Lord of your life today? Why don't you say, I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna make you number one in my life. I'm gonna make you important in my life. Folks, I kind of talked in the first service. I'm preaching to y'all today. I'm preaching the gospel to you. That's West Texas talk. I'm preaching to y'all today. I'm giving you my best. This Jesus that I preach about has been with me. He stood beside me. He's never left me. He's never walked away from me. Hallelujah. He's by my side. I am not anything. I'm a West Texas plowboy. I had a dad with no education, but he worked hard and took us to church. That's all I was. I, I don't have preaching blood in me. I'm just a saint's kid. But I got to go to church and I got to understand that Jesus was important to us. And one day in college, I made him everything in my life. I remember when it happened, I made him everything in my life. I said, no more, no more, no more fooling around, no more doing this, no more doing that. I am making you Lord of my life. I'm making you Lord. And the Lord kind of said, all right, let's go to some towns and see if we can have some miracles. And I started following him to towns and he started anointing me to preach. And now I'm in Austin, Texas, and I'm so happy to be here with y'all today. I'm so happy to be pastor of this church today. I'm so happy that God is here today. Come on, do this. Come on, lift him right now. Lift him right now all over the house. Lift him, come on. Let him be Lord of your life. Let him be Lord. Pump him up. Come on, push him up. Amen. Some of you quit because you exercise too much there. Stand to your feet. You're awesome people, and I love you to the moon and back, and I, you know that. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Amen. He calls us to share the same kind of love and compassion to others we meet. Don't go through life believing that the secret to life is locked up somewhere with no key available for the likes of you and me. There is a key. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Uh, uh, uh. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Thanks for giving me this opportunity today. I never, never want to feel like it's a, it's my prerogative. I want to feel like it's a, it's a blessedness to preach to y'all. I'm honored, and I love you. You know what? I feel that love back. You folks love this church. You love this house. You love this pastor. But I don't want you to. I don't want you to. Let Jesus be just a savior, a healer, a forgiver. Make him Lord. Make him Lord of your life. Dear Father, if you want to, you can raise your hands and receive this. Dear Father, bless this congregation today. Bless the people who are gathered here today and let them understand that you are the answer to the meaning of life. When we make you Lord of our life, there's nothing, there's nothing greater in all the world than crowning you king, than crowning you king of kings and lord of lords. I love you, sweet Jesus. I thank you for giving me strength to preach today and going to give me strength to start a series on Wednesday. I thank you for that. But Lord, if there's anybody here who's still running a fever, who's still running a fever and needs fever to be delivered from their system, because they're anxious about other things and they're reaching for other things. Deliver them from that fever today and let them understand that you're the answer for everything that's trying to take them away from this place and your love. I love you, Jesus. I honor you today. And I give you my praise and my heart and my whole being. I'm gonna embrace my inner Jesus today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen.